0: Welcome to the Visegrad Insight Podcast from Central Europe on Central Europe. Hello and Happy New Years! This is uh, Galen Dahl and Adam Yasser from Visegrad Insight Podcast. Hello. It's <laughs> uh, our first podcast of the new year, and we're excited to be here to share with you guys uh, what what's been happening. There's there's been a lot going on uh, in our little break there, so let's just kind of get to it. Uh, Adam, the uh, the lead today in the weekly outlook has. Uh, undoubtedly been about Charles Michel's uh, decision to vacate his position as the president of the European Council, um, which would actually take place in mid-July if he were to be successful in his run to become an MEP. Um, As we mentioned in the outlook, uh, if there is no successor in place by then, uh, the role might temporarily fall to um, whoever the rotating presidency uh, would be held. In that case, it would be Viktor Orban of Hungary. And my question to you would be, what do you think the reasoning is behind uh, his decision to kind of like s- to suddenly kind of resign and kind of shift gears here?
1: Well, I, I have no idea, frankly speaking. It's quite surprising that someone would quit uh, midterm um, uh, from such a high profile um, position in the European Union. Mm, uh, I guess he, he just wants... Um, a more active political role in, in, in his native Belgium rather than, uh, sticking to a position of a, of a, effectively a, a broker, because this is what the president of the, uh, council does. Um, to be, to be honest, um, Charles Michel did not really impress much in his role. Uh, he, especially since the conflict broke out in Ukraine, he, he has played a second fiddle to Ursula von der Leyen, who has emerged as the really uh, the the voice of the EU, also commanding uh, respect and, and 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 following among um, members of the EU Councils of European Prime Ministers and 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 presidents during during the summits. So so maybe there's an element of, of acknowledging his failure to to make a mark. Um, and yes, as you mentioned, you know, his, his departure is unusual and it, it certainly uh, will force uh, EU leaders, even before the European Parliament elections, um, to, to try to find a successor. Um, I think it's, 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 it's feasible. It's doable. Uh, the prospect of Viktor Orban potentially chairing EU summits is going to, uh, to focus minds, I think. Um, uh, yep, there's, no speculation. Be <laughs> yes, there's no speculation yet who might replace him. Usually these are former prime ministers or presidents um, that are uh, taken into consideration. So we shall see. Um, obviously that complicates the overall game about uh, uh, top positions in the EU, uh, which will all have to be decided uh, right after the June uh, European Parliament elections.
0: Do you think this could have any impact, um, either short or long term, on what kind of the role of the president of the council means going forward? Or is this just kind of a blip? Well, you know,
1: there's always the institutional framework. And and as I said, you know, the, the way this job has been designed is to be an honest broker, um a coordinator more than a, a driver of things uh, unlike the executive commission um uh, so so this is this is um uh, this role has its limitations but then we also saw uh from previous uh, presidents of the council that they could be more forceful and they can assume greater leadership roles if they want so so in a sense it very much depends on who, um, on, on the qualities of, of the person who holds that position, if it's a high caliber politician experienced, um, we, we, you know, that, that person can, can leave a, a greater mark on, on, on the job. Um, so, so we shall see, I, I think it's still, it's still a relatively new job in the EU <laughs> history. Um, uh, there's no doubt in my mind that at the moment Ursula von der Leyen is the um, undisputable EU leader, the EU leader at the moment, um, and Absolutely. and and you know she she is likely to announce her readiness to serve for the second term, and for the time being, unless there is an upheaval in uh, in the European elections that will completely change the political dynamic she's in a good position to to obtain that uh, her track record is strong despite despite initial initial problems despite some uh some problematic um, uh problematic decisions or statements such as the beginning of the uh, gaza conflict where where some people criticized her for for for, for issuing um, mixed messages and so on and so forth but but at the end of the day these are not um, significant enough to stop her if she wants to run and she's got until she's got the next few weeks to to announce that that she she uh, is ready to serve and um, yeah given given the composition of the uh, uh, of the national Parliaments and and the likely outcome of the election, even if there is a swing to the radicals on both the left and the right in the European parliamentary elections, the the mainstream parties, so the the the, uh, the social democrats and the uh, and the conservatives, are likely to 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 hold uh, hold a majority in in the European Parliament, which means that as long as there is a compromise between these two main forces then, then she, she probably has a, a good chance of securing the post.
0: Yeah, it's, it's, I'm glad you kind of mentioned uh, the upcoming elections. I mean, this is a year of elections uh, of many fronts. We've got obviously the European ones coming up in June, but we also have um, you know, across the pond, we've got uh, the American elections coming up, and as well as elections in the UK, uh, among numerous others that are going to be kind of spirited throughout the year. Um, now, I mentioned this with the backdrop that, uh, we, we, we mentioned a report from the University of Gothenburg that um, kind of describes the state of democracy kind of versus uh, autocratic rule. Um, it's, it's, d- it's dwindled over the last couple of years that it's basically now on par with the 1986 levels. And um, well, my question to you is, is it all bad news? Are, are, we, are we kind of seeing a, a retraction or a backsliding of democracy across the world? Well, we certainly
1: see see some uh, some backsliding on 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 the in democracy. Um, also, support for democracy seems to be falling among populations. But again, as the authors of the um, of the report uh, stress, uh, there are some signs of resilience. And uh, okay, this is close to home, but <laughs> the Polish election in in October is certainly um, a good sign. That, um, that, um, democratic backsliding can cause, uh, a backlash from voters. You know, we had unprecedented voter turnout in Poland, historically highest, 74%. Um, where, 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 where people clearly said that they want to stick to dem- democracy. So they, they weren't really voting for, for party programs in that election. They were voting to stop. Uh, the authoritarian turn of the previous government. So, um, uh, the, the the authors of the report also point to Brazil, and you know, in the United States, I think that that is going to be a crucial election uh, from the point of view of how global democracy holds up, uh, because obviously, you know, Donald Trump has has consistently shown admiration for for the kind of authoritarian approach to to, to government. And, and, and huge disrespect for, for balances, for checks and balances and, and, um, and, and limitations on, uh, on, on power. So, and, and he's also openly vowing revenge and retribution. And, <laughs> and, and so, you know, this is, this is a typical, um, typical, um, authoritarian playbook. Um, whether he implements what he says is another matter because as we, we learned during his previous term as president, sometimes his rhetoric uh, got ahead of him. Anyway, but, but this is a, a, a crucial election given the position of, of America globally and the fact that it had traditionally been the, the sort of the, 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 the icon of, 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 democratic government, um, in, in modern times. Um, what is, worrying, I think, from the perspective of our region, of of Central and Eastern Europe, is that with Poland, for a moment, uh, uh, parked uh, uh, aside, we see a a tendency across the region where the democratic mechanism is used to establish authoritarian or quasi-authoritarian methods and we 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 saw that in serbia in recent elections where where there were irregularities where the governing party's control of the media and and general state capture just uh, tilted the, the the playing field so so elections are still free but they're not necessarily uh, they're not necessarily equal and and they don't offer a level playing field to to to, to opposition parties and this is the same playbook uh, it, it seems that, that some of these leaders, democratically elected, then uh, use the democratic mechanism to sort of um, create an environment in which they can continue holding on to power through the democratic process. And of course, this is a travesty. So we've seen that in in, in Viktor's Orban Hungary, which became a blueprint. Uh, we see this in Serbia. And we see this in Slovakia, where uh, the new government is, is trying to uh, sort of imitate orban's approach to to civil society to independent media um, to independent uh, judicial system that that sort of uh treats uh everyone um uh, the, the, the same so so uh, so so in Slovakia you know this is very worrying where, where we have the government trying to to to, to weaken the, the the sort of checks and balances and 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 install party faithful uh, to key institutions that should be independent and should have integrity, and this is the pattern that we saw in Poland before the big change in October.
0: Absolutely, no. You, you, you bring up. <clears throat> you're absolutely right that there, uh, you, you know, the similar playbooks that you're kind of mentioning that are occurring. Uh, we we used to call them kind of a liberal. We still call them a liberal, but also just kind of non-democratic forces kind of co-opting uh, democratic institutions kind of through these, um, well, these very repetitive kind of methodologies. And, you know, interesting though that because I want to I want to pull this back just to, to one. Point that you mentioned um, about the success of the Polish elections, like kind of galvanizing uh, so many kind of young voters specifically, but voters in general. You know, as you said, seventy four percent are going to the polls as because the 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 Polish opposition at the time was able to kind of uh, effectively, you know, make the issue about whether or not you're pro democracy or if you're you know if you're allowing for this kind of autocratic takeover. I find it interesting in the point because this has been the the I think I think Joe Biden is actually listening to very much how successful Poland was because he gave his first kind of campaign speech of the year, very much in line with this kind of notion of saying, you know, if Donald Trump were to come back, it would be basically the end of a democracy as we know it in the US. And I think this is gonna be something that we'll really be seeing uh, going forward over the kind of year of kind of recognizing the the success of certain oppositions when they're trying to uh, win back uh, from autocratic rulers, um, and maybe also just to safeguard like the US democracy. And well, I think it's gonna be a fascinating thing to kind of follow in the months to come i do now i want to I, we, we have a couple minutes here i do want to definitely kind of touch on an issue you brought up uh, recently about the serbian elections but it's an it's an unfortunate um uh event that occurred very recently with the serbian opposition leader um nikola uh, uh apologies if i mispronounce that um as he was rather brutally uh beaten by members of the the country's uh, secret Service, and has now been detained, and in fact um, even in prison. Could you expand on that just briefly to see what's kind of happening in Serbia? Well, the situation
1: in Serbia is febrile following the December elections, which were effectively rigged, uh, as I mentioned earlier, against the opposition. It is. It is also true that that the the, the incumbent president uh, Vučić and and his progressive party a- enjoy wide support in Serbia. Um, uh but but uh, obviously it's not enough for them uh, they they wanted to ensure that they don't lose belgrade the capital um, to the opposition the opposition is traditionally stronger in 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 the big cities and belgrade was was um, seen of of protests over the summer um uh, against yes growing uh, uh, author- authoritarian tendencies in the government but also kleptocracy, state capture, media capture, and so on and so forth. So, so there was this democratic, uh, uh, democratic rebellion, so to speak. Mm, but ultimately, ultimately, you you can also argue that that Vučić has delivered um, substantial economic growth to, to to Serbia over the last few years, and he still commands. Uh, sufficient support, but this is typical of authoritarians that they they want to consolidate it 's never enough for them. they want more and more <laughs> so <laughs> so so the prospect of losing belgrade was was too much to to contemplate, and that 's why they bust people in from uh from um, uh, from um, uh, the Serb community in Bosnia uh, from from other places so that the, these people could vote in Belgrade to tip the balance in favor of the of the governing party and of course you know the the international observers declared that this election was was rigged particularly in Belgrade and and this this led to to huge demonstrations uh the police uh, cracked down and you know so so it's it's a typical sort of situation where where, where democracy is is malfunctioning and of course um in, in this environment uh, uh the state apparatus is is sort of fighting back and and this opposition leader he's not the main opposition leader he's one of many opposition leaders he 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 just was used as a, as a, as a scapegoat in a sense, because he, he dared to apologize for several atrocities in, 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 in Kosovo. Um, uh, and, and, and he was detained and, and beaten up and, and now imprisoned for 30 days, you know. So, so the state is demonstrating that, that it can target anyone. And, and this coincides with, with really sort of, uh, worrying statements by Vucic and some of the, uh, some of his ministers about the fact that the region is ripe for, for, for turbulence. And, and this, it, it's hard not to see it in the context of Kosovo, uh, in the context of Bosnia and Herzegovina. Um, uh, there is trouble in, in, in Serbia, and, and we will see probably more of it in, uh, In in 2024, on the positive note, what I would like to say at the end is that, you know, we should not underestimate the resilience of of democratic institutions and democratic um, uh, tendencies. You know, uh, surveys after surveys indicate that in Europe, at least, uh, vast majorities of of, uh, voters are attached to democracy, attached to the rule of law. And uh, and even if uh, f- extreme parties make gains in uh, in, in actual votes, uh, very often these are not enough to to actually lead to substantial uh, uh, erosion of of democratic uh, norms and principles. And this is a key thing because at the end of the day, as long as even some of these ex- ex- extreme far right or far left parties stick to the rules and stick to the norms. Democracy is not really threatened.
0: Oh, I couldn't agree more. I think it is important that we kind of highlight that um, and the the achievements that the pro democracy movements have been making uh, across the the continent and also uh, in the U.S. Uh, my my last question is just it's a it's a minor one. It's it's kind of a toss and uh, it's it's on the economy. And I know you like this topic, so we have to kind of cover it a little bit. Um, so President Pavel uh, of Czechia spoke uh, about euro adoption of his country in his New Year's address, and I mean this this topic has. Been on, let's say, the elongated table uh, since accession back, you know, 20 years ago or so. Um, so here's my question: Do you think it's the final moment for Prague to embrace the single currency? No, it's not.
1: Uh, and and what's more, you know, Pavel is Pavel is is very much pro-European, pro sort of. He wants to see Czech Republic firmly established in the European mainstream, and and uh, he, he he used economic arguments. But but it's it's hard not to discern that there is a political motive there. He believes adopting the euro places the Czech Republic, you know, in the Europe firmly in the European mainstream, and and it's hard not to agree with him. Um, but the the reality is that there is no majority in the Czech Parliament to uh, to to put the Czech Republic on the path to Europe, um, despite the fact that actually it does meet or is very close to meeting all the criteria. And, and in fact, it would probably have negligible uh, impact on the economy as such, uh, with the balance probably slightly positive for Czech Republic. But, but overall, it doesn't matter so much. To, to me, uh, euro adoption is primarily a political rather than economic issue. And the same applies to Poland. Poland, paradoxically, um, is closer in, in terms of real convergence to adopting the euro than it was uh, 10 years ago. <laughs> uh, but there is just no political environment that would enable uh, adopting the euro because, uh, because there's no sufficient majority in parliament to do that. Um, in both countries, you know, eventually there may have to be a referendum on this issue if there's no uh, clear majority uh, in parliament uh, in, in subsequent elections. Um, in both countries, in, Czech, in the Czech Republic and in Poland, this looks like a, like a minority uh, scenario for the time being.
0: Well, thank you very much, Anna. I appreciate you uh, sharing your thoughts. And for our listeners, you know, stay tuned in the coming weeks as we cover more about the un- developing uh, elections that will be coming, as well as other issues that we will be reporting on Visegrad Insight. This is Galen Dahl. Thank you very much. Thank you.